So for this episode, I had a really great conversation with Samantha Ford Collins. Now, Samantha currently works for the Bank Corporation in the CBD space, but she previously worked for many years in the wine industry, specifically on a brand that I look up to called 19 Crimes, which I'm going to be talking about in a future episode. She talks a lot about some current trends in wine and CBD and really hones in on how to find that right brand if you're planning on going to that space. I'm James Darty, and this is Name Changers. So I, in January, I made the switch from um, the alcohol industry over to the cannabis industry. So wow. I have um, the MJ BizCon, which is the biggest cannabis conference in the world oh my God. Um, in Las Vegas. And then I'm, I'm speaking on a panel at MJ Biz, but I'm also speaking on a panel tomorrow that's a, a different um, cannabis panel. Okay. It's such a new industry that there are so many conferences and panel discussions and things like this. It's it's interesting, but it gets to be sometimes a bit much. Yeah, I just I I just interviewed uh, Michael yes Mike, Michael Patterson yesterday, and he was telling me that he got invited to this like cannabis for IT convention. He's like, well, I know a lot about cannabis. I don't know anything about IT. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they were like, well, no, just come, just come on. It's it'll be fine. So, I mean, it's crazy how big it's getting. Crazy. Yeah, it really is. It's fascinating. Fascinating uh, time to be a part of it, too. Oh, absolutely. Well, honestly, so I'm doing two episodes. I'm doing one on naming your CBD hemp, uh, like that cannabis company. And I'm doing one on naming your wine company. So when I found you, it was like the the perfect guest to have because you (laughs) experience in both. Yes, I do. So that's awesome. So uh, I guess real quick, you talk about, maybe talk about how you started in, um, you know, branding for wine and then how you moved into cannabis. Yeah. So um, I grew up in Northern California where the wine industry is just a huge part of the overall culture and the industry, you know, just period. And Mm -hmm. uh, my dad was a big wine collector. And so when I went to university, I just was like, I don't know what I want to study. I knew I wanted to do business and probably marketing. But when I found out that um, Sonoma State offered a wine business uh, degree, I thought, okay, that sounds really interesting. So I ended up going there. Yeah. And I was, I think, part of the very first class that they offered that, the very first year that they offered that as a degree. And um, I ended up going from there to work for a company that was called Shefflin Somerset. That was like an early um, joint venture between Diageo and Moet Hennessy. Mm-hmm. So there I was doing really sales, but I, you know, they are such brilliant marketers at both those companies. So I learned a lot about um, that process. And then I ended up moving over to Diageo where they put me through the Dweeb program, which I don't even know if they still call it that, but <laughs> it was Diageo way of building brands. And honestly, (laughs) (laughs) I know probably not the marketing standpoint, probably not the best (laughs) naming convention, but, but it was a, um, 
a great discipline in how to really get down to what is the essence of your brand. Mm. And then once you have that essence really nailed, it just feeds so much creativity that ends up, you know, you just end up with a lot better content, more relevant content that has this thread that goes through it. So that's sort of how I started. And then from, from Diageo, I ended up going to work for Treasury Wine Estates, which is another company that's quite good at, at branding and marketing. And, um, was there for seven years until I made the switch over to cannabis. Wow. That's fantastic. Do you see any, do you see any overlap when it comes to wine and cannabis? Cause uh, weirdly enough, you're not like the the first person I've seen on LinkedIn who's made the transition from wine to cannabis. I've seen in, uh, I've seen a few so far. Is there like yeah. uh, this migration going on? There is. Um, and there are some parallels, particularly in the markets, um, like the THC market Mm -hmm. where people are seeking cannabis as a form of release um, or as a substitute for alcohol or, you know, with those same kind of consumer need states in mind. But uh, where I see some huge differences that I didn't necessarily anticipate are in the health and wellness side of the cannabis business, which we don't really have in wine and spirits. Mm -hmm. You're starting to see it a little bit with like Michelob Ultra and some of these beers that are like, marketing themselves as as alcohol for athletes but generally speaking alcohol isn't seen as a health and wellness um you know yeah for sure. product. <laughs> and cannabis certainly is with good reason so that's where i've i've been able to i guess challenge and stretch myself a bit because i haven't worked in that space that much before gotcha very cool uh, one of the reasons i was definitely attracted to uh, having you come on is because you worked with 19 crimes, which is like one of, I think one of the best brands out there right now in wine from what I've seen, like just in yeah. the grocery store shelves and just friends around. It, it's really capturing, you know, a lot of people's, you know, interest. Uh, I was wondering like, uh, was there anything particularly that you think 19 crimes did well that, that really promoted its success? And is there any way that, you know, maybe another wine manufacturer, another wine company can take note of that? Yes. Gosh, I loved working on 19 Crimes. I mean, it is a fantastic brand. I agree with you. And it's Mm -hmm. um, so much has been done right with that brand um, that you just really hope that they don't try to grow it so fast that they end up doing some things wrong. But, um, So I think what they did when they started that brand, and I was not there when it initially launched. I came in, well, they launched it in Canada, and then I came in for the U.S. launch of the Mm -hmm. brand. But what they did in Canada when they launched it, I thought was really the seeds of something brilliant, which was basically the Australian wine market had been tanking um, in the U.S. and Canada. Mm -hmm. So if you remember back to the 19 mid to late 1990s brands like yellowtail um came out and consumers were buying um australian wine like crazy just yeah it was inexpensive it tasted good and it was kind of fun but um it started to get this reputation as cheap and cheerful is what people called it and then it started to get the reputation as just you know not good wine so um the market had been tanking and Treasury Wine Estates is an Australian wine company and they knew they needed to do something disruptive to make Australian wine relevant again. Mm-hmm. So what uh, they did is they worked with an agency. I, I believe the agency was called 11 in Canada. And um, 
this was my former boss, a guy named Barry Sheridan, who's a brilliant, a brilliant consumer marketer. So he went up there and he kind of said, well, what beyond like the soil and the fruit profiles, what is interesting about Australia? And not what is interesting about Australia to Australians, but what is interesting about Australia to Americans, Canadians, and people from the USA. Mm-hmm. And what really they got down to was what fascinates people every time is the fact that Australia was a penal colony and that people were banished there, like to this prison island, and ended up forming a nation out of it. So, from that kind of key consumer insight, they were able to build this brand that acted more as a um, just an interesting piece of storytelling than it did as a, oh, let's talk about the soil and the sunshine and all these things that people kind of default to with wine. Mm, yeah. So I, you know, for me, the seeds that they started right there were great. And then what I thought was really great was um, how they brought that to life. So each label was a real person that had been banished from the UK to Australia each of the corks printed one of the 19 crimes on the cork, but we only ever printed 18 of the 19. So people were constantly looking for this 19th crime and, <laughs> them. and, um, and just that black bottle. That was really, it's funny because it's such a small thing that no one was bottling wine into a black bottle. And it gave it this very, you know, old looking, uh, edgy look to it. And it gave yeah. a lot of shelf impact as well. It has like an old kind of piratey kind of feel to it, mm-hmm. which, uh, but yeah, no, I love the collectorness because I'm not, I mean, I'm not a big wine person, but I've never, I never seen like collect all the bottles of the wine before yeah. 19 crimes. So I thought that was such a cool idea to translate over to, to wine. I agree. The only other wine I remember seeing like that was, it's not a, a great wine, but it did pretty well for a while. It was one <laughs> called Marilyn Merlot. And it was all Marilyn um, Monroe on the oh. label. And back before Merlot was completely, uh, you know, demonized in the business. But uh, that one was one where people would really collect them and, and hold on to them and, you know, treat it differently. So, yeah, 19 Crimes really tapped into that. And going back to, you know, your podcast being about naming. Yeah. Something I think is so cool is that when I think about branding, a lot of times you want to have some piece of sticky knowledge, meaning like something that's such a cool fact that someone wants to be able to retell that to someone else quickly in a sentence, right? And 19 crimes is this name that once you understand there were 19 crimes that got you banished, it's such an easy fact to retell to someone that it creates its own sort of viral thing because of that sticky knowledge. Exactly. That's why I love it so much. It's just so... It does everything right from what I've seen. It's right, it's I really, agree. really well done. And I mean, they're starting to do the augmented reality thing now. And So I I will take responsibility for that. Like the, oh. the genesis of the brand, I have to hand that to Barry Sheridan. He definitely was the man behind that. But um, once I took it over, we started to think about what is the brand essence. And honestly, I think when Barry started it in Canada and then it got taken over by our Canadian marketing team and then it sort of was floating without a brand team. And when they brought it to me, it didn't really have a tight brand essence. So we did a little workshopping on it and we came back to that, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. The fact mm-hmm. that these, you know, people were actually banished there, that they actually lived, that there really were this list of crimes that got you sent to Australia. You know, all these things are true and they're fascinating. So 
from that brand essence that we did, Truth is Stranger Than Fiction, we kind of were looking at the bottles and we're like, I want them to confess. I want them to tell me why they were sent. And yeah. um, that was where the augmented reality was born from. That's such a good idea. Uh, if you if you could ever translate that to CBD, I feel like that would be such a hit. <laughs> I agree. The thing that's critical though, right? Because once we did it on 19 Crimes, Treasury went, oh, this is awesome. It works and everyone's buying it. So let's oh, do, it do it for everything. Yeah. Do it for everything. But the reality is consumers, they look at Chateau Saint-Jean, which is a great wine. I adore that wine. But um, I look at that label and I don't want it to talk to me. You know, there's nothing I want from that label. So the fact that they spent all this money putting on reality on it, it, it didn't surprise me that consumers didn't respond. That's that. a good that's a good point. So just because there's a trend or something that's working doesn't mean it's gonna work for your brand. I mean that works for yeah. That's a good point yeah. for like every brand. So yeah, so we are naming it is a naming podcast. So I did want to talk to you about um if you have seen any, you know, n- any sins of naming when it comes to wine. I mean, there's a lot of white labeling obviously going on. Um, a lot of people just slapping their brand onto somebody else's wine and wholesale. And then there's a lot of high end. So is there any like any sins that you've seen as far as branding, if anyone's listening and they want to start their own wine company or, or uh, something like well, that? I'm trying to think, I don't know if I can think of, like severe sins, but I can tell you some things that I, I, I see as frustrating about wine is that um, growing wine, making wine, these are all incredibly important parts of what the final product tastes like, but it is really hard to, as a marketer, own my soil and my sunshine because it's a consumer is going to hear that exact same story from the vineyard right next to you. Yeah. When you're, especially when you're in the luxury part of the market. So having a, a name or a story that's, that's beyond just how well we made this wine is going to be critical, especially as winemaking improves. It, not just in Napa Valley, but around the world. Everywhere is making pretty good wine these days. So I think that your story has to be more than just we're making great wine for me. I, I love that line. You, you can't just own the soil and the sunshine. That's such a good line. <laughs> you got to trademark that once we get off the call. <laughs> um, and then I guess the other thing that I'm seeing more and more, even in the luxury part of the market, is that with millennials and now even Gen Z, you know, the oldest members of Gen Z are, are legal drinking age now. Yeah. Um, they are very taken with, uh, with story over terroir. So you take a brand like, um, let's see, Cooper and Thief, right? Which is a, a Constellation owned brand. And it is selling at, I think, 27 to $29 a bottle. Mm. And it is California appellated. And anyone that's like a wine nerd knows that the broader your appellation, the cheaper your price should be, right? So okay. if you're in Napa Valley, you're going to command a higher price for Cabernet. If you're the Stag Leap district of Napa Valley, you're going to command an even higher price for, for um, wine. But okay. if you're California appellated, you should be below 10 bucks. That's the conventional wisdom. Now, Constellation came out and they did a California appellated red blend, then threw it into bourbon barrels and aged it in bourbon barrels. That was their point of differentiation. And um, they're commanding wow. that price for it. So these, these new consumers coming into the wine category are really interested in these crossover products 
and they're not as smitten with the soil and the sunshine. So I think the more that, that wine marketers can lean into that and understand that, the better they will do with their product. Does the bourbon barrel actually add anything or is it more of a marketing play? It definitely adds something. Um, they also, it's also an incredibly high alcohol red wine. So mm. it's, I think it comes in at like 18% alcohol, which think about typical uh, red wine would be about 13 to 14% alcohol. Yeah. So it's, um, to me, it's almost unpalatable, totally candidly, but a lot of people like that. It's very big, big, almost like a horse. Yeah. Very cool. All right, great. Um, so I guess real quick, we can talk a little bit about cannabis because uh, I'd love to talk about that. What are some, so right now there are so many CBD brands. I've been naming a few myself. And I mean, you have the range of, there's being sold in pharmacies, they're being sold in health food stores, and then there's being sold in gas stations. Yep. So what has been, uh, when I talked to Michael, he said that he really sees the mom and pop side kind of going away towards the corporation because there's so many corporations jumping in. Um, What do you think about what's going on with the future of CBD and what people should do moving forward with their branding? Hmm. It's such an interesting question uh, because everything changes every month. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. With just the recent comments from the FDA, even um, putting a lot of the more successful CBD companies in a precarious position. Um, I mean, I think there's so much hype around CBD that consumers are going to want to try it more and more. Mm. And because of that, efficacy is critical, like unbelievably critical. Meaning if all these consumers flood in to try this because we've created so much hype around the ingredients and then we don't deliver on what we told them it was going to do, I think that this could be a flash in the pan. And that Mm. would be a shame because I do believe in the power of of cannabis and of CBD. Um, I know that's not totally answering your question, but it's something that goes through my mind a lot. No, no, it's great. It's a great point. Any point you have to give, we could definitely use. Yeah. I... (laughs) just speaking sort of something that's been running through my mind. Um, you know, again, I, I believe strongly in the power of cannabis and CBD and especially as for its anti-anxiety and, and, um, anti-insomnia type of, uh, benefits, but I see it being marketed for everything from hair loss to, you know, God knows what CBD, almost some marketers are taking it and creating almost a snake oil type thing. Yeah. which makes me sad because I don't think we need to do that. You know, the healing properties are powerful. And if we just lean into what it actually can do, we can deliver a lot of help to consumers. But if we keep just looking at it as a marketing ploy, that's, that's going to be a real shame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that song? Sorry, I'm going to take you in a weird direction, but this <laughs> is running through my head for a while. I heard that George Michael song, Freedom 90, recently. And, you know, it goes, all we have to do now is take these lies and make them true somehow. And it, for some reason, that line stuck in my head as I was thinking about CBD, because unfortunately, there has not been enough testing to 
make really credible factual claims, even though we have a ton of anecdotal evidence to yeah. show its benefits. And it, it got me thinking after the FDA issued its most recent warning was all we have to do now, you know, that compiled with sort of the snake oil side of it that I see and, and I really dislike. And it just got me thinking about all we have to do now is we have to take these lies and make them true somehow. Like we need to get the testing and actually prove all these things. Yeah. I, I took you in a weird direction. No, no. I, I read your article before we talked where you, where you went over a bunch of uh, lyrics from like nineties rap songs <laughs> for branding. So I like the way your mind works in that, in that way. It's cool. Thank you. Yeah. I like music a lot. Okay. So that was efficacy I think is, is important. Um, I think that, you know, a company like Charlotte's web has done a great job because there's this real nugget of, of sympathetic truth in where they came from. So are you familiar with Charlotte's web? Yes. Yeah. You know, the, the fact that these brothers were trying to help their niece, I believe it's their niece, um, and that they came up with these products. And then the name has also this, you know, Charlotte's Web is a story that we all loved. It has a, a bunch of optimism to it. I think they did a great job with naming that definitely, product. Definitely. And also creating really good, solid products that speak to wellness and don't try to go into that snake oil side of we're solving all these things for you. Um, so I think as a brand, I, I admire what they've done. I agree. Yeah, no, they've definitely done it. And they've, they've definitely reaped the awards because they've been doing really, really well. So would you say that um, now, would you, would you say that it'd be a better play? And this is just based on like your professional opinion. Do you think it'd be more important now to focus on like a personal, on a brand story? Like, like you said with the niece and how maybe their company helped their mom with maybe arthritis or something, or is it more about the, trying to prove the health benefits or is it a mixture of both? Is it a nice marriage? I think it's a little bit of a mixture of both. Um, I think it's also, it's, you know, people want to try CBD, but I'm not sure everyone's comfortable popping a capsule mm. or a tincture because that is maybe a little intimidating to a consumer that's unfamiliar with cannabis. So I think the more that we can, take existing macro trends, right? And then tie CBD in where it actually can prove to be efficacious or useful. Um, we will make it easier for consumers to come and try it. So I think another good example of that would be uh, the seventh sense, uh, which is a topical um, CBD. And mm. basically they tied into this, you know, I don't know what the right word is. I think they call it cosmeceutical. It's um, women and men that are looking for um, cosmetics and lotions that are actually have a lot of nutritional value or more than just, you know, this is a lotion. Mm. And so Seven Cents uh, created a CBD line of topicals that, that um, also uses other functional ingredients and um, kind of leans into that consumer macro trend. So I think that was another smart way of of introducing newer consumers to to your product. And then maybe eventually you can move them into a you know a capsule or a tincture but to start them off with topical in a system that they recognize is a, a smart way to go about it that's smart all right Samit, thank you so much for for doing this this has been a really good talk and um is there a place you want people to find you linkedin um, or? i mean yeah i'm on linkedin sure yeah great hey have have fun at your have fun on your trip safe travels and i'm sure they're gonna go great 
Name Changers is made in association with Namestormers, a naming agency in Austin, Texas. Find out more about them at Namestormers.com. Special thanks this week to Samantha Ford Collins. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people to find us. I'm James Darty. We'll see you next time.